Hey, it's Scott Walker here in another episode of You Can't Recall Courage. So here's a number for you. $30 trillion. That's right. I said that with a T. Not million, not billion, $30 trillion. That's what the national debt will be in the year 2025, which used to sound like a long time ago to me until you realize 2025 is less than five and a half years from now. So where do those numbers come from? Well, the Congressional Budget Office, who just in the last two weeks put out new numbers showing the deficit and debt problems are even worse than we originally thought. But they're projecting that if the federal government continues to borrow more than a trillion dollars a year, which they're doing now, and interest rates by 2025, they project, will be up to 3.7%. If those two things happen, they project that in 2025, the national debt will be $30 trillion. It was even more amazing to me than, than just that number, because today it's over $22 trillion. When Barack Obama first ran for president back in 2008, it was $10 trillion. Eight years later, in 2016, when Donald Trump ran for president, uh, after eight years of Obama, the federal debt had nearly doubled at $19.6 trillion. Today it's $22, but by 2025, less than five and a half years from now, it'll be $30 trillion. But here's the worst part. Interest payments, interest payments on the national debt will be over a trillion dollars, a trillion dollars alone in 2025. Put that in perspective. So years ago, I started paying attention to this because, as many of you know, listening to this podcast and reading my comments in social media and elsewhere, know that I'm a huge fan of our 40th president, Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan, as a candidate in the 70s and then as president in the 80s, pushed for a balanced budget amendment. When he talked about this during his first year in office, 1981, the federal debt at that time exceeded $1 trillion for the first time ever. By 2025, if these projections come true, which every reason to believe they will, if not worse, the federal debt will be $30 trillion, and interest payments on the debt alone will be more than the entire debt was back in 1981. In fact, it'll be so big at that point at one about $1.5 trillion, uh, it's about 25% of all the revenues coming into the federal government. So the federal government brings in by 2025 about $4.6 trillion. A quarter of that is just to pay interest payments. So put this in a, in a more realistic terms. If someone was making forty-six grand a year, Imagine that for a minute. $46,000 a year they're making. At the same time, they're carrying $300,000 worth of debt. And on top of that, to pay off that, that they have interest payments alone that are $10,000 a year. But worst of all in that example, this person making forty-six dollars a year in wages is spending far more than $46,000. I think about any of us. We had friends or family in that situation. First thing we do is sit them down and say, okay, we got to manage your budget. You either got to make more money, or, or if you're bringing in 46 grand a year and you've got $300,000 worth of debt, we got to sit you down and figure out a way not just to pay the interest payments because you're never going to get caught up. You're never going to get caught up. So we've got to pull back and get spending under control. Well, any of us in our own households would do that. With our family and friends, we'd help them do that in our schools, in our cities and towns and counties, even in our state governments. In fact, across America, across America, 49 of the 50 states have a constitutional requirement 
of some sort or another requiring a balanced budget. And the one state that doesn't, Vermont, actually, to their credit, even though I don't often like many of their politics, actually essentially abides by that. So the only government out there, the only entity out there, other than people who are living in, uh, in situations that lead them to personal bankruptcy, the only entity out there that doesn't live within its means is the federal government. The federal government. It just keeps being bigger and bigger. Well, as bad as the situation is, we've got an answer, and you can help us out with that. But first, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back on You Can't Recall Courage. Hi, I'm Scott Walker, back on You Can't Recall Courage. Thanks for joining us in this podcast. Uh, Again, every Friday morning at 9 o'clock, we have our podcast up. Today, we're just talking about the balanced budget amendment and the, the need for getting our federal spending under control. You know, it's just amazing when you think about it. Everyone else, everyone else expected. I, I always think back to my, my grandparents. Uh, one side, my dad's grandfather, was, or my dad's father, my grand, grandpa Walker, was a machinist for 42 years at Barbara Coleman. My grandparents on my mom's side uh, were farmers. That they, uh, I think in all their years, they didn't uh, have any credit cards. They didn't buy anything on credit other than the, the mortgage on their farm. They saved up for their cars and vehicles and equipment along the way. When I was first running for governor back in 2010, I, I thought back to my grandparents, particularly my grandma, my nana, who used to say, don't spend money you don't have. That was one of our brown bag principles. I think it's pretty simple. It's not just something that farmers live by, but, but many of us in the past and, and now and even many more hopefully in the future, you don't spend money you don't have. That's something that we most of us learned a long time ago, but unfortunately, the federal government hasn't. And, and they've tried all sorts of ways. There's good intention people in Washington, oftentimes even in both political parties. Years ago, you had Graham Rudman Hollings. That lasted for a while. The problem is, without it being in the Constitution, eventually some future Congress pulls back on it. Over the past decade, they had things like sequestration and other attempts to rein in the budget. But again, without the requirement to balance the budget in the Constitution— Any future Congress can pull back on it. I I know in eight years ago, when we came back at the beginning of 2011, remember in Wisconsin, everything had been Democrat before we took office. And so the Democrats in the legislature and the Democrat governor before me had really run up quite a bill. In fact, we inherited about a $3.6 billion structural deficit. Now, by law, we can't carry a deficit. So when I got into office and when the projections of revenues falling uh, from where the spending was set in the, the end, the last six months of then Governor Doyle's uh, two-year budget, so he saw a year and a half of it. I got in office in January of 11. It went through the end of June 30th of 2011. So when revenues and expenditures didn't match, it gets to a certain level, clicks in, and we've got a requirement. By law, we have to balance the budget. We chose to do it with things that provided long-term solutions, not just a short-term fix, not just duct tape. But we actually put in place reforms. We, we knew we weren't going to raise taxes because, one, I said I wasn't going to. But, but two, we thought that would devastate the economy at the tough time that it was. Remember back in the beginning of 2010, unemployment, as it was in many places across the country, was sky high in Wisconsin. It was 9.3% in January. It had dropped a little bit, a little over 8% by December of that year but still too high, and too many people were either out of work or, or or had been laid off or took pay cuts along the way. So we knew we couldn't raise taxes because that would be a, like a wet blanket on the economy. As much as I wanted to shrink the size of government and make it more efficient and more effective and more accountable to the hardworking people of our state, 
you don't do that through random pink slips. You, you do that by putting in place real reforms over time. So I wasn't going to lay off 10 to 15,000 public employees. And plus, the last thing we needed was that many people on unemployment at that time. We needed people working. We weren't going to cut billions of dollars under Medicaid, uh, even though we had ways to reform it over time by putting able-bodied working-age adults back to work. We knew with just a slash of several billion dollars, that would be devastating to senior citizens, people with disabilities, and children. And so we looked at all the options. Having come from local government, I knew that the, in Wisconsin's case, at least, the biggest part of the state budget was aid to local governments, schools, municipalities, counties. And so I knew if we were going to reduce that, which was really our only option, we had to give them something in return, which is why we made the changes to collective bargaining, changes and reforms that, that over the last eight years have provided local and state government over $8 billion worth of savings to the taxpayers. And more than just the budgetary savings, we now no longer have seniority and tenure. We, we can um, you know, hire and fire based on merit. We can pay based on performance, put the best and the brightest in our classrooms and other positions out there. So that, that's what we did. And we had to do something. It was one of those options out there because we couldn't run a, a long-term deficit. We, we couldn't just pile to the debt like the federal government does. And that's true in many states. Now, different states have different solutions. Sometimes they don't pick the long-term reforms like we did in Wisconsin. But, but I'm convinced that even with the Republicans in the legislature, we might not have been able to enact the kind of reforms that we did had we not had a requirement, a legal obligation as part of our oath to uh, oath of office to uphold the Constitution of the United States and the state of Wisconsin uh, to make sure that our budget was intact, was balanced. And so I, I look at this, and, and this is part of the reason why I've got involved with the Balanced Budget Amendment campaign across America. Wisconsin was actually the last state. We're up to 28 states that have passed resolutions calling for a balanced budget amendment. In fact, specifically making an application under Article 5 of the U.S. Constitution to be able to hold a convention solely on the issue of a balanced budget amendment. Some have critiqued this idea in the past. There's others have talked about much more far-ranging issues. The 28 states that have passed resolutions, including my home state of Wisconsin, have all talked about specifically for a balanced budget amendment. Way back in the 80s when Ronald Reagan was president, it was pushing for a balanced budget amendment as well. Uh, then Attorney General Ed Meese uh, asked the, uh, uh, the Department of Justice, the U.S. Department of Justice, to prepare, and there's an extensive memo. In fact, we'd be happy to put it out on the, out on the Internet for people to see that talked at length to the U.S. Department of Justice about how it is that legally you can combine a convention under Article 5 to just one issue, in this case, a balanced budget amendment. And when I looked at that process, I said, we, we can't rely on Washington. They've, they've tried and tried and tried. They've even tried to pass the Balanced Budget Amendment. And if any of you are scholars, you might probably know this. Others may not know. But there's two ways under the Constitution. And our founders didn't pick one over the other. There's two ways to amend the Constitution. Uh, the first one starts with two-thirds of the Congress voting. And that's the way that's been used in every amendment uh, that's been gone through this process thus far uh, that's ultimately been ratified. Um, the second way to initiate the process is by two-thirds of the states uh, applying. They have to pass resolutions saying they're applying for a convention under Article 5, expressly provided in the U.S. Constitution. And then by law, by the Constitution, the Congress is required to hold that uh, or to call that. The states then send delegates and, and work out the specific language 
and then that language would ultimately sent to the states to ratify, just like it is uh, under the, uh, the other version, which is the two-thirds of Congress voting. So two ways to start, two-thirds of Congress, two-thirds of the states. In either case, three-quarters, 38 of the states, 38 of our 50 states would have to vote to ratify, to add any amendment, not just the balanced budget amendment, but the, to add the amendment to the U.S. Constitution. So some have said, well, what about a runaway convention? Again, this this very well-defined legal document from the U.S. Department of Justice under Ed Meese, who was under Ronald Reagan, very clearly spells out that it can be just limited to one topic. So there are are multiple safeguards in place. The the ultimate one, obviously, is the the 38 states. Uh, You've got to have 38 states. Three-fourths of the 50 states have to vote to ratify. To get this under Article 5, to even bring the process up, you've got to have 34 states. So as I mentioned, Wisconsin was the 28th. We helped years ago. Chris Kappinger, state senator here in Wisconsin, did a fabulous job of convincing his colleagues in the state senate and the state assembly. Uh, They passed that and became the 28th state. It's really quite remarkable because under Ronald Reagan, he had pushed for this and got it up to 32. After the president left office, there really wasn't a very visible champion. And unfortunately, by 2012, it had dropped down to just 12 states that still had uh, on file um, resolutions calling for a balanced budget amendment uh, under Article 5. A group of phenomenal grassroots activists spent the last several years since then working to get up to 28, and now we're just six states away. When I first looked at this after leaving office earlier this year, I thought, well, these must be impossible states like California or New York, although nothing's impossible in any of these states. But I was surprised to learn that some of the states left that were really very likely uh, states that, that, that could initiate this would be states like South Carolina, Kentucky, Minnesota, Montana, Idaho, Virginia. Five of those six states actually have both houses, the legislature, are controlled by Republicans. The one that doesn't is Minnesota, which up until last year had both the House and the Senate. Today, the House is just shy of a Republican majority controlled by Democrats, and the the, uh, state Senate is controlled by Republicans. But but really, this shouldn't be a partisan issue, because if you look at the numbers, as I mentioned, by 2025, uh, the interest payments in the national debt become the second largest part of the federal budget. And not too many years after, if it keeps up at that pace, it'll be the number one thing. In fact, if you look over the years, at, I remember Al Gore talking about a lockbox back nearly, uh, well, back, back in the year 2000 election, so decades ago now, almost, um, he talked about a lockbox. Well, the money that was supposed to be there for things like the Social Security Trust Fund isn't there. You know, all these things are, are far worse than even just the $30 trillion debt we're talking about. And so if you're a Democrat and you care about Social Security, you care about Medicare and Medicaid, things that aren't necessarily Republican or Democrat issues, if the federal government doesn't balance its budget, uh, you're talking about not generations from now, but you're talking about just years from now where you're going to start to see the fact that there isn't enough money to pay for these programs. And so this is an issue that isn't just about conservative Republicans. This is something that every American should care about, particularly young people. And rightfully so, and I've talked about possible solutions that the most important one for student loan debt was keeping prices down in the first place, which is why I was proud to be a part of freezing tuition for multiple years in a row. In fact, we're going into our eighth year now of a tuition freeze at all the University of Wisconsin campuses. But student loan debt is a real issue, public, private, anywhere across the country. But when you look at a student graduating from college 
and what their average amount of student loan debt is, you compare that to what they inherit as a future taxpayer, it's a fraction of what they take up from the federal debt. And so this is something that all of us should care about. And it's why it's so important that we get to these uh, 34 states, we get to a convention, we go through the process, we send the language, and we get 38 states to vote to ratify. Because 2025 is just around the corner. So I hope if you if you enjoy this, we'll start putting up. In fact, every once in a while, if you go to scottwalker.com, I'm on uh, Twitter at Scott Walker. I'm on Facebook at facebook.com slash Scott K. Walker. I'll put information up about the details of this and how you can be engaged, particularly if you either live or you do business or have friends that live in any of those states I mentioned, places like South Carolina, Kentucky, Virginia, Minnesota, Montana, and Idaho, all critically important. Uh, because to me, even though I think there are some people who have very legitimate concerns about making sure we don't just rush to amend the Constitution, the, the, the document that it has been the, the founding guide for ensuring uh, freedom and liberty for all of our citizens uh, for now almost two and a half decades, or excuse me, two and a half centuries, uh, I get it that people want to be cautious about amending it. But I think increasingly when we look at the numbers, more so than caution uh, over amending the Constitution, the greatest threat for this republic is insolvency. And it's not going to happen in some future generation. It's right around the corner. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Scott Walker, and you can't recall courage. Join us next week, 9 a.m. Central Time, where we'll be talking about another fascinating topic. Until then, keep fighting for freedom.